you know, the Lord desires to speak to us, wants to speak to us, that we can hear his voice. And so we pray as we feel like the Lord's bringing revelation and um, rather than, you know, like I'm not ditching like list praying, that's fine. Like you, you can still have your lists to pray through. But um, for me, prophetic intercession is life-giving. It's just, you know, so much more joyous and life-giving because you're actually experiencing a relationship with God as you're praying. Good day, friends, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Follow Disciple of City on all the socials and keep tabs on the podcast on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. And if this podcast has blessed you, would you consider donating? Disciple of City is a non-for-profit charitable organization, and you can donate through our website at discipleofcity.ca. Click on donations and leave a message in the message box for the Toddcast. My guest today lives in Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne. I'll figure it out. She's originally from Wodonga. She was formerly the National Prayer Coordinator for Youth for Christ Australia and is currently the International Prayer Director for Youth for Christ International. And she's also an author and written a book entitled Intimacy, Intercession and Increase. She's actually here in studio. She flew all the way from Australia to be on this show. Please welcome Lyndall Walker. Hello, Todd. Lyndall! <laughs> we finally got here, hey? We did. We finally made it. That's so good. I uh, just have to make one little amendment. I'm not currently living in Melbourne, Australia. No, you're not. <laughs> did I say currently? I think so. Yeah. No, yeah. you're currently living in Peterborough, Ontario. <laughs> Uh, which is good because you flew up here just to just to be on the show. So we really <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate that. Um, you know, truth be told, Lyndall is up here living here in Canada for a while. Mm-hmm. Being international YFC, you can you can do that. And we've been trying to get you on the show and had some scheduling conflicts and summertime and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. But we made it happen. Mm-hmm. Fresh out of the green room, how was your Todd sandwich? <laughs> Delicious, of course. <laughs> Canadian bacon with maple syrup. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> oh, Lyndall. Gosh, where do we even start? Well, actually, you know, we've known each other for a while, but I don't actually really know if I really know your your testimony, like your whole thing. And, and uh, although really... I'd like to explore your international travel and um, what you actually do as a prayer director and the transfer from YFC Australia to the international and, and that whole thing with what you do. But can we just begin with how, how Jesus became real to you? How did you grow up and what was that, what was that like for you? Yeah, well, as you said, Wodonga, wow. I don't know if that's ever been on the podcast before. <laughs> I just really wanted to say Wodonga. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a, a rural city about three and a half hours northeast of Melbourne on the main route between Melbourne and Sydney, for those of you who know the Hume Highway. <laughs> three and a half hours up the Hume Highway. Um, I've got a mum and a dad and two older sisters. So I'm the youngest of, of three girls. Um, my dad was a truck driver and then he had his own business for over 50 years so he's finally kind of retiring <laughs> this year um but just grew up in the town like you know going to school 
same primary school, same high school, just stayed there until I was 17. Um, yeah, just had a great life there, really, in terms of, like, loved sports, so, you know, got into the tennis and the netball. We have a sport called netball in Australia, um, which is too hard to explain. You'll have to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I loved my sport as a kid. Um, and, yeah, just lived a nice kind of middle-class, comfortable Christian life. Went to church from when I was born. Um, pretty conservative little church. Um, had family members there. And, yeah, that was my life. It was pretty insular for 17 years. <laughs> so what happened at 17? Did you go off to school or? Yeah, yeah. So um, I went to Melbourne for school at that time. There was a couple of local kind of universities that didn't have much of an offering. It's a lot better now. But back in those days, basically, if you wanted to do further study, you had to go to a major city and Melbourne's the closest major city to us. So that was the obvious choice. And because I loved my sport, I wanted to do some kind of sports program. Um, so I did human movement, which is like a sports science kind of course. So, yeah, I got into competitive netball. Well, I did play for the university. Like I, I played, um, you know, at a regional level. So I was part of a regional team. And then we would go to Melbourne quite often to play in competitions and things like that. I did actually try out once for the state team, but <laughs> wasn't quite good enough for that. <laughs> um but yeah, like I ended up playing at the university, just like, it's not like college university in the States. Like we went and had a university games one off and I got in the team to play there. But that was my first exposure to Darwin actually where I lived for a long time. But um, yeah, so 17 year old, moved to Melbourne. My sister was down there at that time. So my mum and dad blessed us with buying a unit at that time so we could live in the unit and two of my cousins also lived there. So what is that? An apartment? Yes. Flat? Like an, <laughs> yeah, an apartment, I guess. If a you unit. Yeah, yeah, we call them units. It's like a two units on one block. So I don't know, you might even call it a duplex, but they're like, they're not double story or they're not townhouses. They're yeah. just one story. I just thought I was down with all my Aussie terms, huh? but I've not heard unit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> going to learn something new here. Yeah, as. <laughs> So wh when you went to school, like a regular university, not a Christian university yeah, or something regular, regular? Um, university and did three years there and then um, decided after that, I mean, my heart was that I'd love to work with um, professional athletes, like especially because Sydney, Australia had the 2000 Olympics and I'm like, oh, that would be awesome to work with, you know, athletes in the lead up to the Olympics. But um, but I started volunteering at my church youth group when I was at university and so I was hanging out with young people a lot and from that I decided to go into a teaching program. So I did a two-year post-grad after that at an, another university and became a teacher. As a teacher, yeah. Mm -hmm. So was your faith pretty grounded or was there was there a moment of mm -hmm. where your faith became your own or was it just modeled and you just kind of like always knew or yeah well I mean I gave my life to the Lord when I was little like uh probably seven year old or eight year old we had this things called girls rally in our church which is um kind of like the Christian version of girl guides I guess where you could work for badges and uh different have fun activities things like that and um we would have guest speakers at different times come in and I remember this little old couple came and spoke one time and 
basically at that time, I just knew I needed forgiveness of sins and I wanted to go to heaven. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pray this prayer and I just want to make sure I can get to heaven, you know. <laughs> um, as a, a child, probably that's the extent of what it was. But I also, I did want to please the Lord. Like I, as a teenager, I never kind of went off and did my own thing or got off track or whatever. It was like, you know, I wanted to live for him and got baptised when I was about 15, I think, 14, 15. Um, and so I guess, you know, you would call me a good girl. I was always a good girl in school and church and did well. And yeah. So what led you to, uh, to full-time ministry? Like if you went on a teaching, it was part-time, mm-hmm. right? Or casual or teacher? Um, oh, yeah. For the first year I was basically working full-time at a Christian school, but I got halfway through that year and thought, oh, there's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> um, I'd gone as a 17-year-old straight from high school to university, did five years of university, straight to work. And I was like, I'm a young person still. I was only, you know, 22-ish, 21, 22, and I was working and I was just so tired, like already. And I'm like, you know, I need to go have an adventure. So um at that time, as I said, I'd been volunteering with a youth group and just really wanted to get into the word more and understand more um, for teaching the word and discipling young people. And um, it actually had a friend from my church had come over to Canada to go to Cape and Ray Bible School over out west on Thesis Island, which I believe might have a new name now, but at the time it was Thesis Island, which is off Vancouver Island. And um, she had some of her friends from that year come and hang out for a year in Australia and, you know, had a good time with them. And then I was just like, Canada's a place I've always wanted to go to and there's this opportunity to go to a Bible school over there. Um, And so at that stage, like halfway through my first year of teaching, I was like, I think I'm going to go to Bible school. And um, and so, yeah, I kind of had to wait for another year or so because the semesters are different in Australia to over here. So our school year is from January to December, whereas here it's September to June. Um, and so I had to wait for the following September to be able to come out to school. But that was all right because, you know, I was able to work and earn the money to be able to pay for the school and things like that. So um, that was my first exposure to this great North land and had the best year of my life as a 24-year-old. I bet. Yeah. On an island. On an island. We had to... The West Coast. Get a ferry to Vancouver Island, obviously, to Nanaimo, then go to a little town called Chimenez and then catch a ferry from Chimenez to Thetis Island. So. Nanaimo, home of Francisco Castro. We'll have That's to ask true. him if, if that island is still has the same name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was a great year. I loved it. That's how... I, basically, too, in terms of the international stuff, it probably really started that because there was... A, international students there, you know, from Germany, from Sweden, from Denmark, from England, um, from the US. And, you know, like because of that, I just got to know all these people from all over the place. And after that, I was like, wow, I can go visit these people in these places. And yeah, so oh, Costa Rica, my roommate was Costa Rican. Hi, Marcia, if you're listening. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was one of the best years of my life, I would say. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like it. So one, one year there or two years at that university or at the Bible school? There was only one year at the Bible school. It's a t- uh, eight month program. Um, I was here for 10 months all up because I traveled. I spent the first month traveling and then another month traveling afterwards. Yeah. Like across Canada? Or? Yeah, across yeah. Canada. 
you know, at that time, I just thought this will probably be my one and only chance, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, since I've been back many, many times. Yeah. Amen. Um, so after that, after you did your traveling back home to Oz and then what, what led you, did you do something else or did you know then that you wanted to be and serve the Lord in ministry? Uh, it was actually a really interesting experience. I think a lot of people go through this when they go off to a school or discipleship school or some period of time and then they go back home and you're, a, a, I think a good word is discombobulated. <laughs> That's an international word. <laughs> you're not quite sure where you fit. Like you feel like you've kind of grown and you moved on a little bit. Um I just didn't really know what I was passionate about. And I can remember distinctly a, a conversation I had with two of my friends when we'd gone on a holiday together and, you know, similar age to me. And I felt like they knew their passions and where they were headed. And I just remember crying, like, oh, I don't know what I'm passionate about. And my one friend said, yeah, but you're passionate about God. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> you know, you don't think about that. Like in the worldly sense, you've got to have a passion of some sort, you know, like you're passionate about music or sport or, you know, um, theatre. Netball. Netball, whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah, like, um, but yeah, I was like, realised, oh yeah, I'm passionate about God and, and the Word. And um, so yeah, at that time, I'd actually decided that I was going to do more Bible school <laughs> because of the Bible school I went to was, yeah, really a discipleship school in a way, and, and it was awesome. We went through a lot of books of the Bible and we learned a lot, but I really wanted to get into the more academic side of things as well and, like, look into the historical, cultural context and things like that. So um, I decided to go to the Bible College of Victoria, which it doesn't exist anymore. It kind of merged with uh, another um, college there and... I think it became the Melbourne School of Theology now. But um, yeah, at the time I decided to enrol part-time so I could teach part-time, get an income as well as study part-time. So did that for over four years and um, be- yeah, got a graduate diploma of Bible and ministry. And at the same time I was volunteering at my church in the youth and young adults. I kind of ended up taking over the young adults ministry and um, yeah, learned a lot from that. But um, so I guess, yeah, Discipling young people was more of an interest and passion than um, actually teaching them, I would say. <laughs> I guess because you've put six months at the university as a teacher and then, then you were out, right? Like after you went to university, so just like discipling them more of an interest. Yeah, than- yeah for sure. And I did teach like on and off. Like I, I got to a point where um, I kind of left. I did end up going back to that school after I got back and worked there. But um, I, it was about half an hour away from where I lived and I felt like the Lord was drawing me back more into the local community. And um, so while I was at Bible college, because the Bible college was also about half an hour drive, I, I just decided to do local relief teaching, we call it, which is kind of, I don't know what you call it here, temp teaching or something, <laughs> casual teaching. Yeah, casual, kind yeah. Of, yeah, like so. Supply. Supply, yeah. Um, so I did that for a period of time while I was studying and um, just to get an income. Yeah. Yeah. So what uh, what what door opened up for you with uh, Youth for Christ Australia? Well, that's a long story before that even because um, you know when I was still in Melbourne, I was this was all in Melbourne. Um, I met a wonderful lady by the name of Anne Green. Her daughter was um, part of my small group in the young adults, and um, she would come visit our church every now and then. And um, 
she had a passion for our Aboriginal people and especially for supporting the Indigenous Christian leaders. And so um, at that time I was kind of getting an interest in that area too. I was doing some reading and meeting her and hearing stories and um, I got into the advocacy kind of area with related to Indigenous people. Um, and then at that time... I just had this thought, you know, like if I'm advocating for these people and going and speaking about the issues there and, and the disadvantage and the mar- marginalisation and things like that, then I actually want to go be with them too. So um, I started praying about, Lord, okay, where would you want me to go and um, meet with these people, you know, and um, there's so many places you can go, right? Australia's a big country and Aboriginal people live everywhere in Australia. So um, at that time the school that I'd been working at um, had done a missions trip up north to the Northern Territory and um, had gone to this, an Aboriginal Christian school there, a boarding school. And um, so I just found out about that. um, And after I'd found out about it, I just thought, "Mm, I'm going to see if I can go visit that school. So I just reached out to the principal there and ended up going for a two-week stint and just volunteering. And it was really funny because in that two-week stint, one of the teachers actually had to go back to Sydney for a funeral and got stuck with the floodwaters and couldn't get back in. So they asked me if I would teach, like, and, you know, I'm not registered to teach in the Northern Territory or anything like that, but I ended up basically teaching at this Aboriginal school up north and I loved it. I um, went back after the two weeks and but the seed was planted there and I, at that time I was also involved in another ministry in Melbourne and was doing casual teaching, so I wasn't really tired with to anything and at the time I just said oh if you need anyone to come back later in the year I'm available and so I get a call halfway through the year and said hey we need someone like in a week can you come (laughs) and um, basically I went and and did a six-week stint Um, but after that like I actually had a dream Um, my heart was just so so stirred for the Northern Territory that I I had this dream and basically it was a map of Australia with a finger pointing to Darwin and then Darwin is the capital city of the Northern Territory and I woke up from that dream and had a word come into my mind, Darwin 2009. So I'm like, okay, Lord, (laughs) and that was in the middle of 2007. Um, But it was so clear that I had to be patient because, you know, obviously I I just wanted to be there then. and yeah, it was amazing how he opened the doorway for me to end up going back and being a chaplain in that school in the Northern Territory. Um, so that's where I started and um, I will get to Youth for Christ, but <laughs> this is kind of a lead in to, to see the context, I guess, in terms of um, I was living in the Northern Territory. I was working with Aboriginal youth, young people, um, chaplaincy youth worker, um, slash teacher slash house house parent like whatever was needed um, I was um, at this wonderful school um, fast forward a couple of years um, I decided to do a master's of education and related to indigenous education and it was I was quite passionate about it at the time just looking at alternatives Um, for our Indigenous people. But when I started my master's, I just felt like the Lord had said, I want you to be a voice for the voiceless. And so when I was looking at what to do for a master's project, um, I was like, well, they do all this research out there about um, remote Indigenous education, but they don't actually 
ask the young people themselves what they think. So I decided to do my research in that area where I interviewed young people from remote communities um, just about their experience of education and what their aspirations were for the future. And so I did this project and um, finished it. It did end up getting published like a shortened version um, in a journal. So then I was like, okay, I've done what the Lord's asked me to do. I've been a voice for the voiceless. And like I could have probably gone on in that area, but like I was pretty brain dead after. It's a very, very complex area, like for people who – are familiar with um, Indigenous education, probably worldwide. It's, it's similar worldwide. But um, again, I kind of realised from that I'm probably more of a missionary than an academic. <laughs> um, what's what's the relationship or what's the acceptance of the Indigenous in Australia to like people like yourself like to? Um, well, yeah, my experience was a very was open and hearted. I mean, I worked with obviously a lot of um, Christian Aboriginal people as well. They're very forgiving of all your mistakes that you make culturally. (laughs) Um, You know, I worked with, like in Australia, obviously it's probably similar to to Canada. It's up north. Um, Culture is still very strong. Um, We call, you know, full-blooded Aboriginal people still, you know, um, whereas down south, um, it's become very mixed blood because, you know, um, very early on of the colonisation, you know, um, people started obviously marrying people from the colon- colonial era kind of thing. And so, um, you know, down south they lost a lot of language and culture and, you know, lots and lots of devastation, lots of um, massacres, different things like that. So um, I feel like, you know, there, there is a little bit of a difference sometimes between that, like, and, you know, people might argue with me there, but from my experience, you know, like, um, you know, you can see the hurt a lot of, of the time from people who have lost language and culture and just not really understanding who they are and where they belong. Yeah. Whereas I, f- I feel like the people that I worked with still had those strong ties to, to land, to culture, to language, to identity, um, and so, yeah, like it felt a little bit different, but um. And you were with you. You were with youth, right? So, like teenagers and younger. Yeah, teenagers mainly. Like, I, and I did work in some schools at um, different times with younger ones as well. But um, yeah, the school that I worked at mainly was teenagers. Um, so then they. So then they would be not. <laughs> Oblivious isn't the right word, but they wouldn't have been. That would be the his the past, right? Like the bad parts of Australian history, if you will, with with Aboriginals, right? So they would be not as. Yeah, do you know I mean, what I mean? They they know about it for sure, and yeah. um, but I think you know the people that I came across are just very very forgiving. Like they, you know, obviously they've had their trauma and like you know the stolen generations, and it's all very similar to to Canada. Um, but, you know, you see, like, when I see Aboriginal Christian people, I think they're the most resilient people on earth, like, um, because for what they've gone through, like, the, when they've understood God and they've encountered his love and understood forgiveness, they've become the most powerful people on earth too, you know, like, because how can you forgive some of that stuff, right? Like, yeah. being taken away from your mother when you're a, a little kid and, taken away from all that you know and your language and your everything and then, you know, grow up in a setting that's not 
familiar to you and and yet because of God you are able to forgive and you're able to love and so yeah like to me they were just amazing examples and amazing their resilience and their faith in in Jesus yeah, yeah for sure for sure yeah so that was that um kind of aspect of my life in that time I thought I was going to live in the Northern Territory forever, by the way. I just, <laughs> I just really loved it when I was there. I um, always felt like I was going home whenever I crossed the border. I'm like, felt excited to be there. Um, but that's where I started with He's for Christ. So, um, In the Northern Territory. Yeah. So it's actually interesting because my first boss in the Northern Territory is a lot younger than me, um, but he'd actually come to this school that I was teaching at, um, a remote Aboriginal school, to come and do a university placement. And he happened to do the exact university course that I had done as a younger person. Um, and he had to do a placement somewhere and he decided to come to our school. And I'd never met him before, even though he's from Melbourne. And we just hit it off and um, clicked. And so from then we just had this relationship and he had a love for the territory too. He came back um, with his wife or I think they were fiancé then kind of thing Um to visit and help us with some camps that we would do with young people, things like that. Um, and then eventually he got the call from the Lord to move there to restart the Youth for Christ in Darwin. So there'd been a Youth for Christ centre there for um, a number of years, but there'd been nobody to kind of run it, you know, for at least probably two or three years, maybe longer. But, um, yeah, so he was a young guy when he came, like a 24-year-old with his young bride, uh, who was pregnant, <laughs> and, and um, he actually just sat in that chair praying for two years by himself. Like, obviously, he was doing things as well, but he just was seeking the Lord for a plan, for a strategy, for reaching the young people of Darwin and the Northern Territory. And then, um, so a couple of years into that, like, we were actually on a board together for a, another ministry called Northern Tribes, um, working with Aboriginal people there with a, um, some missionaries who'd been there for a long time. And... Yeah, so we actually used the office of Youth for Christ and we'd hold different gatherings at the Youth for Christ property and things like that. Um, so, And actually we lived together too. So like there was all this intersection like of our lives. And um, in 2014, I was in India visiting a friend who's a missionary there with another one of my friends. She was actually the friend of mine, it was her good friend. So we went together to, to visit this um, girl who was a missionary in India. And on one of the nights um, towards the end, all three of us on the same night had these really vivid dreams, really distinct vivid dreams. And we're like, okay, what's going on here? The Lord's obviously wanting to speak. And, um, and for me, he really spoke to me through that dream of my calling in prayer and, um, Basically, after that, I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And I, at that time, I felt like he said, help Dave. Dave was a, the young leader, Youth for Christ leader there at the time. And so, yeah, I just went to Dave and just said, look, this is what I feel like the Lord's saying. And, yeah, so the following year I joined Youth for Christ. So that was the start of 2015 and uh, joined in the, the local branch or chapter, whatever you want to call it there, uh, Um and yeah, my title was a prayer and mission coordinator and, you know, my two passions were kind of came, coming together in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you, I'd l- like to talk about the, the travel that you did. 
um, before you transition into like the international working for the international, but so prayer and missions. So you did a lot of, did you lead a lot of teams on missions and how many countries? Oh, at that time it was all local missions. So, um, you know, we had a lot of teams come up to go into remote Aboriginal communities. We did um, reach out to the the youth in the juvenile detention centre there, which obviously very high proportion of Aboriginal young people in detention, um, you know, like I think it's similar in Canada, you know, highest suicide rate in the world was the, amongst Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory, um, which is just a terrible statistic, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the issues with addiction, like petrol sniffing was a huge thing um, back in the day. Like it probably still is. I'm not sure where it's at right now. Um, but, yeah, so we just – had a real heart for our Aboriginal young people and um, that was, you know, the mainly the people that we would reach out to and um, bring teams and we'd start a thing called the Jesus School. You may have heard of that. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. <laughs> um, what year did that start? Oh, what year was it? I think it was around 2016. Um, one of those guys out there might correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was around that and the first Jesus School was a four-week school. <laughs> Four weeks. Oh, that'd be so good. Two weeks in the classroom and two weeks out in the remote communities. Um, Okay. The second year, like, I basically helped plan, like, nine mission trips. Like, we we actually had a team that went into Indonesia that year and then the rest of it dispersed throughout the Northern Territory. And, yeah, that was a logistical nightmare. (laughs) But, But we got there and, yeah, like, just wanted to expose to like um, young people to you know our remote Aboriginal Australia like you know that that was a possibility for mission in the future as well um, yeah so yeah we had good times yeah. out, out bush as we say out bush <laughs> yeah thought it was out back well yeah but up in the top end we call it out bush because out bush. <laughs> oh there's a because um. It is outback, but, it, you know, it's very tropical up in the northern part. So it's lush, it's green. Like in the summertime when, well, we call it dry season and wet season. In the dry season, it does dry out a lot and you get the burn off, you get the fires. Um, but in the, the wet season, it's very lush, very green. It's not like the desert, which we call the desert kind of areas. It's more the outback. <laughs> yeah. So netball, out bush. <laughs> and what was the other one? Outback? No. <laughs> no. The- Unit. Unit. Yes. Yeah, unit. <laughs> Learning a lot today. Hey. <laughs> you have to try to get in as a few more times, I think. Oh, that's not a problem. As good as. <laughs> yeah, as good as. Uh, okay, so so what, what was the transition then to YFC International? Mm-hmm. If you had such a heart for the Aboriginals, mm-hmm. right? Was, was it a... Like, was it a promotion or was it just another job opportunity or? It was the Lord. <laughs> or the Lord, I guess that's. <laughs> yeah, um, it was really interesting because like, I think maybe it was a la- last Jesus school we did up there. We actually did a Jesus school out in a remote Aboriginal community. Like um, one of the um, elders out there wanted to do a Jesus school for the Aboriginal people in his area. Um, and that was amazing. We also had team come up to do that. Um but at that time, like I saw these young people coming who were, came out to do the, the trip with us and they were just really passionate. And like, I'm like, 
what's going on with me? I feel like I'm losing that passion that I once had, you know, like, you know, I used to love this, but I'm really quite struggling right now. And um, anyway, getting back from that trip, uh, I was I, I was seeking the Lord about it. I'm like, I'd already finished my master's, had decided not to go down, you know, that educational academic route. Um, so I was seeking the Lord. There was two things. Um, I'd read the biography of um, William Wilberforce. I don't know if you've heard of him, the great British politician who basically ended slavery. Um, yeah, there's a there's a town quite north of here called Wilberforce, actually. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. Um, and so that was kind of significant at the time. And, like, I'd, I'd prayed a prayer and just said, Lord, because he was amazing, like, right, he just, he persevered until he got the job done. Like, um, he was an unwell man a lot of his life. Um, but he just did so much, not only in slavery, but in animal welfare, in, like, looking after the marginalised people in Britain, in, like, lots of different mission organisations. The actual reason why um, the first fleet that came to Australia had a chaplain on board was because of William Wilberforce, basically, who advocated to send chaplains to the to the colonies, um, and so um, after reading that book, I was like, Lord, if I had like say thirty years left of my ministry life, like what would you want me to give myself to? You know, like what would you want me to just dedicate my my life to? And I felt like he said prophetic intercession, um, which. We can go into a bit more detail later if you want of what that means. Um, yes. And the other thing was like, okay, Lord, why am I losing this passion for Indigenous people that I thought I was going to have forever, live in the Northern Territory forever? I ended up getting a house there, all of those things. Um, and I felt like you said, I've made you for the nations. <laughs> and so I'm like, Okay, <laughs> um, and I had travelled a lot to lots of nations, um, you know, by that stage as well. But you know, again, I I just had this passion for the Northern Territory, and it was a bit of a well, it was a big shift, really. And I remember at the time, one of my friends slash mentors, who's actually gone to be with the Lord now, she she um, passed away with breast cancer in her early fifties, which is very sad. But um, at the Time it, it was like she was saying, you know, when you've got a, a plant in a pot and when it starts growing, you need to transplant it into a bigger pot because, you know, otherwise it's going to die, right? Like it's not going to produce more growth in that small pot. And so it's like, Lindell, it's like you need a bigger pot to keep growing. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I, that kind of really resonated with me because, you know, like when it came to leaving Darwin and, and the wonderful community that was there, um, it was like it had to be a good reason, right? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, Lord, yeah, I see that, that I need a bigger pot to, to keep growing in you, to keep on, you know, doing what you want me to do. Um, and, and that's then, just in the last bunch of years because when we were down there for Jesus School, you were still, you were living in Darwin and doing all yeah. that. Yeah, but I, I had become the national prayer coordinator for Australia as well. So yeah. um, I had gone into some local leadership because Dave had left um, his position and so there was a gap in local leadership, which I kind of – I stood in that gap until there was someone else who could 
could take my place. And then at that time, I kind of felt released to go into the national prayer coordinator role um, and then actually moved to Brisbane for a year, which was where our Youth for Christ Australia um, office was based. Brizzy. Brizzy. <laughs> yeah. I see, I know that one. I lived in Kangaroo Point. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and and then that's the year the pandemic hit. So, um, and I was so convinced that the Lord had called me to the nations that I actually resigned from my position with Youth for Christ Australia before I got accepted in the Youth for Christ international role. Oh, there's faith. Yeah, so faith as I um, I think I'd had the, some interviews for the for the international role, but it hadn't been confirmed. But I just said I can't do this and be true to what I feel like the Lord's calling me to because my heart now has gone actually to Canada, you know, like 2020, the Lord was really speaking to me a lot about Canada um, and praying and interceding for Canada. Um, And then, yeah, I got offered this role in towards the end of 2020 and then started at the start of 2021. So that's a very, very long story. (laughs) Yeah, back to my question. I interjected, though. Fair enough. We got off on some things, too. See, and I snuck an as in there, and you didn't even, it didn't even phase you because it's so common. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even phase her, friends. So how many countries have you been to? Because uh, you've, you've traveled a lot, and as... As the Toddcast staff will be looking at analytics and see how everything's going, you know, we see, oh, wow, somebody listened in Turkey, in Istanbul, mm-hmm. Turkey. That's amazing. And then, oh, Lindell's there. <laughs> it's it's Lindell, our number one listener. So yeah. how many... Uh, and I heard you had some in the Philippines, and I'm like, that could have been me too. <laughs> it could have been you too, yeah. But if not, we say hello to our, our Filipino friends, because yeah. I think there's, yeah, there's a bunch of listeners in the Philippines. Awesome. Yeah, I love I the Philippines. Lately, but at least 25. Um, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And what was the latest one that I hadn't been to? I can't even remember. Well, Turkey I'd never been to before. I was there last year. I'd love to go there. Ireland I got to the first time last year. Wales I got to the first time last year. So, I mean, you can count UK. I had been to England before, but not to Wales specifically, not to Ireland. Yeah. 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 And we, uh, we traveled. We were with uh-huh. the team, you and I, in Africa. Yes, Botswana and Namibia, and I was there again last year. Yeah. 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 Um, before we talk about prophetic intercession, just the Jesus School, how many How many of those were there? Oh, let me think. Nine or ten? No, not even that many, I don't think. Uh, probably at least five in Australia, five or six, mm. and then one over here. Maybe seven ish. <laughs> so, for those listening, Jesus School was well. I guess you guys modified it, and d- depending on where you go, but it was something that some of us from our Disciple of City team attended in Melbourne in 2018? 2018? 2018, I believe, 2018 yeah. and it was uh, ten days. The one that we attended to, and at, at a camp, intensive, uh, just learning about Jesus, the truth about. God, the truth about Christ, the truth about you, and just really teaching an identity. And I know for me, it was massively spiritual, life-changing, life-changing period. And I know it changed a lot of people. So that was awesome. Then, of course, we did one here. You guys came. Mm -hmm. Bunch of your crew, bunch of the mates came up here. 
Yeah, that's 2019. So just got it in time before the pandemic hit. Yeah, and it was awesome. It it was awesome up here as well. That's where I introduced Andrew Scarborough to maple syrup. He almost never left. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd like to talk about your book a little bit, but let's talk about prophetic intercession. Mm-hmm. What what exactly does that mean? And And talk about what you've experienced with that. Yeah, well, to me, like, intercession firstly is actually just praying on behalf of someone else like if you've ever prayed for someone then you've interceded for them so that's pretty simple um the prophetic part basically is getting revelation from the lord and hearing from the lord as to to how to pray and what to pray and like i kind of share in my book a little bit about how i used to be the list prayer like in the the church kind of context that i grew up in um, it was more like I felt like it's a have to, like we, it's just part of what we do as a Christian is we have our list to pray through. And if we don't pray through that list in the morning, then we've been naughty, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and it's like a tick off the list and you've done your duty for the day and then you just get on with the rest of the day kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like with the prophetic, like I, I didn't grow up in that kind of a context where um, I was taught that the Lord can speak to us today. That wasn't until my 20s. Um, and then I started having really vivid dreams, like I mentioned one dream or a couple of dreams that I had. Um, so during that time, I I was like, okay, Lord, I believe in your word. And I know in the Bible, you spoke to people so much through dreams. So if you're trying to speak to me through these dreams, you better tell me what they mean because like. I, I was just really hungry for the Lord at that time. And um, and I had this really great guy. He's actually in the, the back of the book. isn't part of my acknowledgements, Warwick Vincent. So hi, Warwick, if you're listening. Um, he was an awesome mentor at that time. And, you know, I'd ask him questions about listening to the Lord because he'd come to our church actually and had done a bit of teaching with our young adults and youth around, you know, listening to the voice of the Lord. What does the, the Lord sound like, et cetera. And um, so I'd be reaching out to him and he'd always just point me back to Jesus and he's just like, well, what's Jesus saying? And I'm like, it was kind of frustrating at the time, but it's also great because he he wanted me to search out for myself, you know, um, go to the Lord myself. I started reading like lots of books. Um, and so, yeah, it was basically learning about how the Lord speaks to us and, and that's the prophetic aspect is that, you know, the Lord desires to speak to us, wants to speak to us, that we can hear his voice. And so we pray as we feel like the Lord's bringing revelation and um, rather than, you know, like I'm not ditching like list praying, that's fine. Like you, you can still have your lists to pray through. But um, for me, prophetic intercession is life-giving. It's just, you know, so much more joyous and life-giving because you're actually experiencing a relationship with God as you're praying, you know, like you, you're hearing from him as to what to pray. Like, and so, yeah, I guess I have a lot of dreams about people or situations. And, you know, that's one way that the Lord shows me how to pray and who to pray for. Um, yeah, just little words of knowledge or little promptings in your spirit, um, things like that. Yeah. So your, your book here, Intimacy, Intercession and Increase, which is available Mm-hmm. On Amazon. Yeah, Amazon okay. and all the other platforms. 
And it's, uh, friends, it's a 31-day adventure with Jesus to explore a life of prayer. So you have a second edition you were showing me in the green room. Mm -hmm. Which, are you leaving that here, the second edition? Or? If I must. Yeah, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> um, so is this, this um, like your, not attempt, but is this you sharing? So, like, would you say that's this is you sharing? It's a it's a one day devo, right? Yeah, Where so people can it's the same for use in young adults mainly. But like right now, I have a seventy three year old lady who's reading it and you know getting discipled through reading it. Um, but yeah, like it's basically, I just wanted young people to learn how to pray and like how to have intimacy with God and. Um, when I started it, it was like, okay, Lord, where do I start? And pointed to John 17, because John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. But basically we're getting an insight into how Jesus prayed, and that's pretty amazing, you know, like it's basically the only place that we see a recorded prayer of Jesus. Like the disciples were there in the room, like before he goes to the cross, you know, they had the Last Supper. They get to have this little insight into the prayer life of Jesus. And so... He starts by having time with his father in intimacy, like he, he's talking to his father, and you can see that in the first few verses. And then he switches to intercession when he starts praying for his disciples. So um, he, yeah, like he prays that they would be in the world but not of the world, so to speak, you know, be, be protected from the evil one, etc. And then he starts praying for those people who would believe as a result of the witness of the disciples. And so there we see the increase in the kingdom, you know. Um, and so that's how the title came about, was um, from John 17. And so then I decided to break it up into um, 10 days for each of those topics. So 10 days on intimacy, 10 days on intercession, and 10 days on the increase in the kingdom and how prayer can be used in evangelism. Yeah, and the the intimacy is so key on building our our faith, our our journey, knowing who the Father is, right, and just increasing, like the title yeah. says, increasing everything. Well, yeah, like you know, the intimacy part was like really significant for me, like in terms of calling God Father, because you know I struggled with my own earthly relationship with my father growing up and had to go through a period of forgiveness and healing and things like that. So it really made me turn to God and understand him more as a heavenly father. And, you know, one of the, the verses that the Lord gave me at that time as a young adult was um, 1 John 3, 1, how great the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And like, I just had to hold on to that, you know, that I was a beloved daughter of God, you know, and that he was a good father. And, and as I say in the book, Jesus actually talks about this father like 111 times, I think it's uh, mentioned in the book of John. And, you know, he even says, I think it's in the John 17 towards the latter part, is like the same love the father had for Jesus, he has given to us. And like, you know, that's incredible, isn't it? Like to think, you know, the love that the father had for Jesus is the same kind of love that he loves us with. And we are called Jesus' brother, you know, brother or sister, you know, like we are siblings with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that whole intimacy 
piece for me was really in terms of related to the father, but in I go through not not only the relationship with the father, the intimacy you can have with Jesus, the intimacy you can have with the Holy Spirit, um, like it's all there in the Word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any plans to write any any further books? Or anything? I know you've yeah. you've tweaked that in the second edition, but uh, is there plans for something else for you for book wise? Uh yeah, I do have a plan. I had started working on it last year, um, but then got really busy this year with um, planning a big conference we're having in November. But um, yeah, it's basically a book on the voice of God. Um, again, I want to write it for young people, collect some stories from around the world from our Youth for Christ family of um, how people like significant times in a life where, where people have heard the voice of the Lord and the impact that that's had on their life or their obedience to him. So it is in the works and hopefully after this big um, conference, this General Assembly we're having in the Netherlands in October, I'll be able to, to have a bit more time to focus on writing again. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm just kind of, uh, I'm just kind of looking at netball here, I'm just jumping back, just all over the place. <laughs> you are all over the place. Well, you said to look back. You said to look it up. It looks similar to basketball. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, I could have explained it, couldn't I? <laughs> but it's similar. It looks similar to basketball. Hey, there's no, uh, there's no backboard. Um, no. people have positions, and you wear a bib with your position on it, and you have to stay in certain areas of the court depending on the position that you're in. And there's no dribbling, it's just passing and you're not allowed to run with the ball, you have to just hold it. There's so there's a rule called no stepping. So if you step with the ball, it's a foul if you like or <laughs> No stepping. Yeah. That ball. You can look it up. All right. I, I just really wanted to know. <laughs> it's a Commonwealth country. Can I can't believe Canada, you don't know it because you're a Commonwealth country. Listen, we play hockey here. This is Canada, <laughs> get it right. <laughs> um so what is what what's next for you here you're here you're in canada you're here for a while yeah well so as I said, um we've got this big conference coming up in october in the netherlands where our worldwide youth for christ family come together um we normally do it every three years but um we haven't done it since 2017 because of the pandemic so uh we're expecting a thousand attendees um we're having a prayer day to to kick things off. So I'm organising all of the prayer day and every other aspect of the prayer around the conference. Um, And we're having over 500 at the prayer day um, itself. So, yeah, that's going to be exciting as well as a lot of work (laughs) and preparation. Um, So that'll take me up to the end of October. And then I'm actually having a holiday in Europe, which I'm looking forward to. Nice. I travel a lot, but I don't often get to have holidays in these places. So this time I I made sure I booked a holiday in Mallorca, Spain. And um, so after that, I'll come back to Canada for a while and heading back to Australia in January. And we'll see after that. Going to leave when it gets cold here, eh? Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> you need to experience Gotta it. Get I get back for the Australian Open tennis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Go back home for Australian summer. Yeah, and then come back again for it's good. Skip winter. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, well, Lindall, thanks for sharing your story. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, about appreciate time. it. <laughs> yeah, it is about time, eh? Hey, <laughs> it's about time. As um. Lindell, just um, another question for you. Just talking about 
the prophetic intercession. And I know, because I first started really experiencing hearing from God at Jesus School in Australia. Mm-hmm. So for for Christians that might be listening that maybe struggle with believing that you can actually hear from God, or maybe there's people who are listening who aren't Christians, and this is really, really foreign. What would you say to somebody to help them really understand that God really wants to talk to us and we can all hear from him? Well, I say it's about relationship. And so like, that's why Jesus died so that we could have a right standing with the Father again and come into relationship with him. And so when you have a relationship with someone here on the earth, you talk to each other, don't you? <laughs> 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 um, and you, you know, that's how you get to know them. It's like you, you have to sit and listen. If I want to know you, Todd, I have to be able to, to hear you, to listen to you, to understand you, to get to know you, understand how you tick. And I think it's just the same with our relationship with God. We're created in his image. So why wouldn't he create us to actually have a, a relationship where we can hear him? You know, like, and I know it's it's difficult because we can't see him, you know, like he's not visible to us, um, but he does want to speak to us. And I feel like I, I mentioned this in the book. It's like he's always speaking, but we need to learn how to tune into his voice it's like a radio station. It's like it's always playing, but to actually hear the radio, you have to tune into the station, turn it on, tune it in. And so um, I just encourage people to to learn how to tune in to the voice of the Lord. And, and, you know, the book is a great resource to start if you want to go on that journey. There's many other great resources out there to help. And, of course, the Bible itself is full of God's interaction with humans and how he spoke to them, and that's where we get the example from. Thank you. You're welcome. Tune in. I like that. Yeah. Thanks, Lyndall. Thanks for taking some time being on our show today. I appreciate it. Love you, Todd. Too. Tune in, friends. The Lord, the Lord wants to speak to us. A lot of times we might struggle with trying to understand that, but you just have to really, like Lyndall said, desire to tune in, desire to want to hear from him. And it's not so much what we want to hear, but it's what he wants to tell us and what he wants to share with us. He has a plan for each and every one of you. Would you open your heart and tune in? Become intimate with the Father. Have intercession for others and see a huge increase in your spiritual journey.